Today we're talking about leisure and the Sabbath and work and a bunch of stuff connected around to one of our favorite authors, Joseph Pieper, and we have a special guest. We'll talk to you here in a moment. Well, hello and welcome back to Elevate Ordinary. I'm your host, John Mark Grodi. And I'm Teresa Grodi. And we're back with another extraordinary conversation about the ordinary pursuit of truth, goodness, and beauty. Thanks again for joining us for this. Oh, and we had a great guest last time. Oh, gosh, you know what? These are all out of order. I'm not sure which one that was. Uh, but but we're excited to do this. We don't always have guests in the studio. And, and lately, we've had a, a number of cool guests. Today is no exception. We're talking to Simone Riscala. We're talking about Joseph Pieper. We're talking about leisure. Uh, a topic we've kind of circled around. We talked about his virtues a lot, but today we're really going to dig into one of the things that he's known for uh, as an author. A lot of people are familiar with that topic. I'll introduce our guest more formally here, here in a moment, but I want to remind you as always that if you want more information about this show or to watch past episodes or information on how you can support the show, go to elevateordinary.com. Also download the Awaken Catholic app at theawakenapp.io where you can access this show and other other great shows from our friends here at Awaken Catholic. So with no further ado, I'm going to turn it over to you, Teresa, to introduce our very special guest today. I'm so excited <laughs> to introduce you, Simone, because we just uh, recently reconnected, and I I love you. So I'm just really excited that you're here today, um, and you're up earlier than we are, because so. <laughs> you're out in Cali. Um, exactly. So Simone is the Director of Program Go- Growth at Endow. And if you guys don't know of Endow, it's an amazing resource for Catholic women, um, taking you through the churches. I, want, I should let Simone do this. Simone, would you like to tell us a little more about yourself and Endow and um, something that you're working on that you're really excited about? Oh, well, thank you so much, Teresa and John Mark. It's it's a pleasure to be here. I'm so excited to talk to you about my, one of my favorite, if not my favorite topic on leisure. And the love is reciprocated, Teresa. It's a mutual admiration <laughs> and love society going on over here. But yes, so Endow, I, I thought you were explaining it very well. Uh, Endow stands for Educating on the Nature and Dignity of Women. That was taken from John Paul II's apostolic letter, Mulieris Dignitatum, on the dignity of women. And so we educate women um, on and we call women together to study important church documents for the cultivation of their unique feminine genius. So we create study guides to make those church documents accessible to women and then organize them into small group communities. So if you want to join an endow group or start an endow group, I'm the person that you would call. Awesome. awesome. Oh my goodness. And we um we have a mutual friend now. Yes. <laughs> Sister Mary, Sister Mary Prudence Allen, who is actually in our Diocese of Toledo now. Um, she's a, a retired sister, religious sister of mercy. Um, I had no idea she was connected with Endow. We had her over for dinner, and I was just like, oh, I hear you like Edith Stein. <laughs> <laughs> she's like, yes. A little bit. <laughs> yeah. 
<laughs> on the on the endow end of things, she's like the queen. I, I just like if I ever meet her in person, I think I will curtsy or bow or something, <laughs> something awkward. Where I'm like, hello, your majesty. Um, she she's our feminine intellectual powerhouse. I, I mean, oh. this is this is her third volume, Concept wow. of Woman. But there's there's three of these. Wow. And she's she's as you know, I mean, you're friends with her. I mean, you know now. I mean, gosh, just. I've- I've really enjoyed conversations with her. Oh my heavens. Yeah. She's so sharp. Um, yep. Yeah. And actually our baby, we knew he wanted Prudence somehow in the name and we knew sister Mary Prudence, but like we saw her at the cathedral um, for our diocesan anniversary. And I, w- it just like dawned on me. I was like, Oh, Mary Prudence. And so she, it just happened. <laughs> An excellent choice. An excellent choice. Right. <laughs> so so um, we're going to talk about Joseph Pieper's Leisure. What's yeah. the full title of that book? Leisure, the basis of culture. The basis. Right? Yeah. So to get, so I've heard this through John Mark. I have not read the book myself. Um, so I actually looked up, have you heard of the Burrowshire podcast with Brandon? I Mott? Have. Yeah. I and have. Uh, Father Britton. <laughs> um, so they have an episode on Pieper's Leisure. and. Nice. I mean, like, I'm just excited. I, I want to take this one quote from Father Britton because he was talking about the Greeks first. Before they got into Peeper, they were talking about um, leisure in the Greeks. And he said, so I'm quoting him, that when they thought of leisure, it's when they took time to embrace reality, to sit before the beauty of creation, and to contemplate existence. And that's a that's a really beautiful frame, I think, for what we're going to end up talking, especially reality. Right. You know, I'm really big. I'm big on reality. Well, you know, these are like really at the. <laughs> A lover of reality. We have to be lovers of reality. Right. Well, we so we talk about that a lot here because we're big on the virtue of prudence and people's mm-hmm. you know virtues as we talked about. And in prudence, one of the ways I like to describe it is this turning to reality. Um, we talk about leisure again. It's very significant for this show where part of what we're doing here is it, God comes to meet us in ordinary life. That's where we have to. If we don't find God in ordinary life, in our vocation, in our marriage, in our family, in our in our children, then we're not going to find Him because He comes to us in the ordinary life, in the vocations He's called us to. And so leisure is very bound up in that because whether or not we get leisure right is whether or not we we actually meet God in those those parts of our life or whether we rush past them. So I don't know the best place to start here. <laughs> How did you yeah. get into people, you know, wherever you want to start yeah. with that? Yeah. Yeah, sure. I mean, there are so many places to start. So I, I feel that frustration. Uh, certainly, there's there's a million places we can begin. But I, I think what I love Peeper's book, the the, the Cardinal Virtues as well, <clears throat> leisure presupposes, like, to, in order to live a virtuous life, leisure is presupposed, yeah. I think. So this is um, <clears throat> like an it's like like you said, what's at stake here? Like reality's at stake. Your experience of God is at stake. We get leisure wrong. We get our life wrong. We right. miss it. We miss it, and we miss and we miss Him. I think for me, I I read it in graduate school. Um, I just picked it up. I was like, oh, that's interesting. I like sitting around and contemplating. Um, I what is this? So I I didn't know who Peeper was. I didn't know all the you know all the important Catholic thinkers and writers at that time in my life. So I just was struck by the t- as a basis of culture. That's a really bold claim, yeah, Joseph. You know, so what do you? <laughs> is, let me see what this guy has to say about it. And I read the book. 
especially the second half on the philosophical, I read that book nine times. Wow. And uh, because it was so, I couldn't put it down, a little bit obsessive. Um, maybe I shouldn't have said that on a podcast. I read it. <laughs> well, now, no, now I need to <laughs> read this book. The nine times no, is what got me. It's, it's for me as a child of Middle Eastern immigrants, it was a turning point moment. You know, you have those moments where you're like, ah, something in me. We were just talking about this off record. Like there's like this shift mm-hmm. in your mindset, in your life, in your understanding, something, some intellectual gap has been filled that helps you to understand yourself and reality and the world better. Reading, reading people's book was that I was like, this is the, this is the reason. And for me, um, living between two cultures, so being, um, American, so having a Western mentality, um, but then being raised by Egyptians. So having a very Eastern sensibility. I mean, I think the movie, my big fat Greek wedding did a very good job of like showing (laughs) the like tension. Um, but but Peeper explained it to me intellectually. Why is it that in my household, in my family of origin, we valued time with the elderly, that we val- that, that coffee with grandma for two hours is not a waste of time? Or why was I in like two extracurricular, extracurricular activities, but everybody else seemed to be in like 15 and they were like really worried about their achievements and their, you know, and I was like, why, why am I like not am I not doing life right? Because I'm fine with just two extracurriculars. I don't, you know, so for me, the understanding of like, oh, things are the way that they are based on the fact that you, what you believe, what you worship will determine how you live. Mm -hmm. So that was the, that was the the beginning point for me is understanding the difference between American versus uh, Eastern, Middle Eastern cultural differences. I know one of the, the big points that he makes in that book is how, um, and this is probably, I don't know if this is true more for the Western or is it just maybe omnipresent in the world today, that we, the world is taken up more and more into seeing work as the lens through which we view all of life. And so even our leisure, and again, we probably should define that term a bit more here here presently, but yeah. you know, sure. our leisure time, the, the moments where the work pauses, that's the instrumental time. We pause and rest a little bit to go back and do more work. And he challenges that saying, no, that the work is for something that we encounter in leisure and not the other way around. And that's a, a, a pretty big paradigm yeah. shift, you know? Yeah. He makes the, this, I mean, there are these distinctions between like, there's like work in our life, there's entertainment and amusement, which often gets confused with leisure. Right. And then there's leisure itself. So leisure is seen as something very flaky like, oh, I'm too busy and important um, to worry about leisure. And if I kind of need a break in order that I could can go back to work more effectively, because you hear this and say, right. like, you know, if you take breaks, then you'll just be a better worker. Yeah. Like, oh, hey, so, you know, uh, so I think you're right. We need to define it. So leisure, the way that Pieper defines it, Pieper's a Thomist, and, you know, obviously he he talks about the Greeks and the um, Aristotelian definition of, of leisure, but it's a mental and spiritual attitude mm-hmm. of being open to reality. So it's good that we started with reality. It's a spirit of calm and of receptivity to reality. So that's not the same thing as like turning on Netflix and just right. like zoning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, I really struggle so. with that, especially since we don't have a ton of babysitting. 
So like yeah. when we have our time together, we do tend to like eat chicken wings and sit on the couch and watch TV. Um, yeah. You know, and that is a struggle to be like, let's get all the kids outside and play a sport together or go for a walk in nature. When I know that the Netflix always leaves me we're still restless, you know. Yes. And you can go on your walk and still not be in leisure. Yeah. You could, you know, that's especially that's, with five kids. Yep. Yeah. The st- cars. I don't, I don't have a solution to that. To <laughs> no, that. Sorry. I mean, it's, right. I mean, that's, I mean, I think, but I think it's a struggle even, even for, even for single people, people don't have children. Mm-hmm. Our culture worships productivity, efficiency, mm-hmm. yeah. work. You know, human beings are economic subjects at their core. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, maybe we wouldn't say that out loud, but certainly John Paul II thought that and thought yeah. that that was and the reason, you know, the 20th is, century. It is yeah. certainly how we make decisions, right? So if you're a head of a corporation or you're in a government office, you're seeing people as commodities, as economies, and you're managing them. Like it's across the board political. This isn't like one political side over the other. It's just yeah. we, when you're in a place of higher education, you have a higher education and you're in a power of authority. The only way that you can deal with people is by seeing them as some kind of commodity. And I think it's really interesting that um, the ancient Jews, God had, God gave when God was giving them, you know, taking them out of Egypt and all that time. See, I'm, I'm a biblical scholar here. All that time that God was taking them out of Egypt and retraining them. He, was very serious about not numbering things, not counting things, not knowing how many armies you had, not knowing how many sheep you had, not knowing how many cattle you had. And I think he was trying to break that habit in people of commodifying everything Mm -hmm. rather than living in a clan or a family clan or seeing life in that particular lens. Yeah, I think that's fascinating. That's that's yeah. fascinating. And and, the, and I'm I you know on that subject of the Israelites and the Jews. I mean, I think I was very very struck by um, obviously the third commandment is my favorite commandment. Ephesians my favorite, uh, you know, thing virtue to talk about because it's the protection of our humanity. It's 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 the one day that we set aside to to say that I can, I'm not just a math problem or I'm not just an economic subject or commodity or a product of the state. Mm -hmm. I am a human being and I have dignity. And so, I mean, growing up in Los Angeles, I remember the Orthodox Jews that would like stop, you know, like life stopped and they would be walking to their Shabbat dinner. And I love to see that because it really was like the preference of God. We're inconveniencing ourselves and stopping everything to remember that we belong to God and that we have dignity in who we are and that there's no government or state or job or any project that's going to come before my human dignity. Right. Yeah. So it, again, we, we, we accept this as normal, but we don't often think about the weirdness of like, so why does God insist that we take a Sabbath? You know, from the beginning, why does God insist that, that, because, because what we don't work at least consciously, we're not working for selfish reasons. We're, we're working, we're doing good things because we believe that they're good you know, we're like Martha, we're doing, we're anxious and worried, but because we're trying to do good, why in the midst of that does God insist, okay, you've done enough work on this day, you're not to work. And instinctively, mm-hmm. especially in our modern minds, we think, well, God, wait, but, but I can get more work done. I can do more good. I can do more of the good things you've called me to do. My husband is actually home that day I can, and I, I can accomplish so things. God says, no, you, you shall 
keep the Lord's day holy, you shall have leisure. Um, and I, the gospel, you know, story I, I mentioned there that helps me to to see understand this dynamic most is the Mary Martha thing, right? Because it's the the distinction in that story is not so much that okay, well, she prayed and she worked, and one is good, the other's bad or, or less or something like that. It's that in Mary, she was uh, she was in leisure at the foot of Christ. She was open and receptive to God in that moment. And it's not it's not that we can do that all the time. We have to go out and work. But the the issue with Mar- with Martha is that there's a quality we learn in our leisure time that's supposed to follow us out and become our attitude that we carry even into our work time. And she had lost that. She had lost that peace, that presence, that receptivity in her in her work, in her busyness. And the point for us is that we have to find that in our leisure. Otherwise, our mm-hmm. our work, um, our our desire to control and to make it work and to do so much good, that takes over even our leisure, right? Yeah, I think that's a really, really crucial point. You cannot actually enter Sabbath rest or Sunday. You know, Peeper says that leisure, the height of leisure is festivity and worship. But you cannot worship well if you haven't done what you just described, John Mark, which is that you carry that mental and spiritual attitude of receptivity, of openness to reality and to God in everything that you're doing in the days leading up to Sunday. So whether you are having a merry moment and resting or a Netflix moment or uh, or you're working, because leisure is a virtue, you have cultivated that capacity to be open to reality, ultimately that meaning open to God, even when you are working really hard throughout the week. But keeping that receptivity, making it a habit means that when you finally come to Sunday where you really don't have to do anything, you are have that emotional bandwidth to to actually worship well and to celebrate well. You're not preoccupied, and that's that's the that's right. the opposite. You're not preoccupied with like shoot the laundry sitting there or with right. you you are you've really like given into it. Let's talk about that distinction again, because this is this is the struggle I think we often have. We might we recognize this a little bit intuitively, but then yeah, oftentimes the the time that would be leisure gets filled up with Netflix or something like that. Yeah. Like what's the distinction? Like what? Talk a little bit about what what really cultivates that virtue of leisure and those things that that maybe seem to on the surface but really don't. Yeah, I mean, I think Teresa, when you were talking about restlessness, I think that's kind of the measure. Mm-hmm. Um, for me, the measure is like, oh, even when I'm in moments of leisure or in moments of uh, rest, my mind is still elsewhere, is preoccupied, it's distracted. I'm not like fully present. Maybe I'm spending time with my mom and she can tell and we can all tell when someone's like, look, it's our day together. It's our leisure day together or what, or whatever. And you're, you're just not, not really there. Um, just because the, the virtue hasn't been cultivated to the point where you can really be present to reality. I mean, this is very similar to St. Therese saying like the, the present moment, like you know, God is in the present moment. So it's, it's habitually growing in, into that. So I, I, I don't know if I'm answering your question correctly, but I think the way to cultivate it is, is quite, it's quite difficult because what it is, it's not just saying like, Oh, I'm going to book an hour to play the violin. Although yes, it also might, might mean booking an hour to play the violin or like shutting down the laptop. But the way that you approach that or how you grow into that yeah. is when the virtue itself, like you yourself are becoming the sort of person, like being virtuous is becoming the kind of person. Yeah. Um, so that even when you're not technically in leisure, that you're still a leisurely person, then that that 
attitude yeah. of calm. And you see this with holy people, you know, whether they're working or resting or watching Netflix or doing it, they have a certain openness to the person in front of them or openness to reality or a certain calm and interior disposition mm-hmm. where they can respond. And then I think back to your point about prudence. I mean, this is what makes the the possibility for prudence to be happening. If you're going to really ha- have cultivated that virtue of discerning the true good in every situation and how to respond to it, that presupposes that you are able to be open to what's really happening here and now. And that can't happen without leisure. Yeah. Yeah. I think bringing the virtue stuff into this is, is so important. There was a great, uh, a buddy of ours here on Awakened Catholic on his show, Physically Spiritual, talked last year sometime about meditation and anti-meditation. And he was sort of talking about how you know, when we meditate, you know, whether whatever form that might take, you know, sitting with the scriptures or whatever it is, well, what, what are we practicing? What's the virtue? We're, we're practicing leisure. In other words, what we're practicing is focusing on one thing. In fact, in the story mm-hmm. of Mary and Martha, that's that's kind of the language there. Mary, she she was doing the one thing needful, whereas Martha was anxious and worried about many things. In meditation, we practice being present to one thing, just this scripture, or just being in the presence of God. And that's hard because we're used to just being scattered. It's bringing ourselves yes. to one thing. But by contrast, so many aspects of our lives are constantly training us in the opposite. You know, to be multitasking, to be watching something while we're listening, while we're on our phone. Like we're always practicing being fragmented. Whereas leisure is this habit of being one and present to one person or one task and be absorbed uh, joyfully, peacefully in that one thing that we're doing. I'm so glad you said that because that's – it's so – Contrary to our American or, I don't know, Western, the way we've habituated ourselves. I mean, mm-hmm. I am, and I think women in particular who are so good at multitasking. I mean, mm-hmm. when I started taking this virtue seriously, I was, I mean, as growing in virtue feels like, it feels like death. <laughs> I'm like, I, I will wash the dishes until they are all washed. And because my tendency is to be like, oh, I'll wash a few, then I'll go change the laundry, then I'll, blah, blah, blah. you know, and what you were yeah. talking about, this, and, and I'm like, okay, it, there's not a moral issue here, but if I want to, pra- if I want to grow in that habit of not being scattered, of being attentive to what's in front of me, I must in these very little, humble, painful ways, force myself to A, slow down and mm. B, complete it. Yeah. Oh, I mean, this well, is this is not flaky work. This well, is this is not- this is like Teresa yeah. therapy right now. I'm just sitting here, <laughs> you know, because it's not like so. I'm Type A, and I am a huge multitasker. So I I waitressed for ten years, and in waitressing, you need to multitask. But when you know your job well enough, it's very peaceful. You know, you know what you're doing. Yeah. And you're, mm-hmm. you know. Yeah. But then moving into motherhood, and trying to carry over multitasking like human beings it's very very difficult and so like i i really fluctuate between peace and the ability to hold my calm and things don't you know really see what matters and what doesn't in this moment and put the and and just like flat out like i need everyone away from me cuz i don't even know how to like get through this moment without freaking out um, right. And it, it, it is a hard, it's hard, you know? So, um, so yeah. I'm, I'm listening to you guys. I'm not contributing. I'm listening. <laughs> no, I mean, that's, this, that's so real. You're it's just, like, it's, it's so it's, when, when people say leisure is like flaky, I'm like, you have no idea what no it means idea. to build virtue. It is. 
death to yeah. self, death to ego, yeah. death to your desires, death to the death to original sin that mm-hmm. like really does want to live fragmented and scattered. Yeah. yeah. And um, death. But the, the thing is, is like I used to hear death and I would be focused on death and suffering. But as I am a mother and I die, 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 die more um, mm-hmm. in ways that I don't choose, like the resurrection is real. It's real and it's present in my life. It's not just this resurrection that will come someday for my body, you know, when I'm already in heaven sometime. You know, it's like when I die and I'm faithful, I can expect there to be a resurrection. And usually that comes in like, I, I use this phrase a lot, but like God's divine creativity, then all of a sudden like issues forth from me you know, or from whoever is practicing the virtue, whoever is dying to self, whoever is being obedient. Um, And you look like this fertility goddess or saint, you know, like ever calm and patient and, you know, (laughs) saint. But I I mean, I I don't think people see that like the, the death and resurrection is real. This isn't just you're a perfected person in this moment. You have died and this is God spilling forth from you. You know, yeah. so I'm hopeful yeah. as I'm yeah. listening. Yeah, and the and the goal of, of I mean, in virtue in this life is that eventually, like, if you can start to enjoy it, right? Mm-hmm. So we don't. I mean, that's kind of the height of virtue is that you're not just in a, a good habit, but you enjoy it. So I remember when I started taking the vir- the vice of gossip seriously in my life, I was like, you got to knock this off, right? I mean, you know, pr- there's progression. Stop doing it, but wish I was doing it. You know, wish I was gossiping. You know, it's like, oh, it's so juicy. Don't call your mom because you are not virtuous enough to resist, right? So there's that. And then all of a sudden, I found, much to my surprise, right, the resurrection moment you're talking about, like, oh, I actually enjoy not sitting with my tongue. That actually, that's great. I enjoy it. And almost like surprise, like, oh, so the virtue thing works, yeah. you know, and it, and it, but it's not easy at first, you know, and there's most people land somewhere in the middle, right? They're either in the bad habit and feeling guilty mm-hmm. or they're in the good habit and wishing they were doing bad. Right. But like, you know, at least with vice, you enjoy being bad with virtue, you enjoy being good, but we, we want to get to that where we like the good things, yeah. right? Yeah. Our, our affections have been ordered as such that we enjoy goodness. Yeah. Um, but it takes time. Virtue takes time. So you have to start now. So if I was listening to this, like, yes, I am restless, scattered, impatient, you know, I'm yeah. not open to yeah. reality. Where is God? Well, you've got to be pretty violent with yourself and, and cut out anything that is keeping you, you know, away from what the scriptures say, you know, with the Mary and Martha, it, keeping you away from the better part. There's a better, there's a better way. Yeah. When you were talking about American work, or something like that a, a long time ago. Um, I was thinking about the uh, this 401k issue that I'm always thinking about, okay? I'm always uh-huh. thinking about the monetary systems that we just kind of fall into. And one, one of the biggest realizations for me was that I was saving the habit of living hmm. fully until I had saved up enough to live fully. As yes. opposed to in my productive life, in my productive years, when you are you are young, you are fertile, you are able to build things. Um, having my full 
earned wages available to my to my building, you know, to our family, whatever our family wants to do and what we want to build um, and how we want to include our community and the rest of our family and what we're building. And like, like, like the idea that I'm just saving this for yeah, later. Deferred. Um, you're always was, either <laughs> yeah, proceeding towards the virtue of leisure or you're, you're deferring it. Right. Cause we all, yeah. like, why, why are we working? Mm-hmm. Well, somehow someday we're going to like relax and spend time with family, but that's always later, later, later. Uh, until it's- yeah it's so weird because it's so when you're on your deathbed you're gonna be like you know what i wish i did wish i worked more overtime yeah. i really didn't you know i mean yeah. like that having that kind of eternal perspective mm-hmm. i mean i i've i've done a few talks on on leisure and you know in a very unleisurely preparation way and i you know <laughs> my mother who's always the voice of truth in my life she's like you know what would be cool um, if you just were leisurely and put a lecturing on it, I'm like, ouch, <laughs> there's a truth bomb there. So I was like, I can no longer talk about this until I have progressed a certain level, you know, but that, you know, yeah. there, that's your mom for you. you yeah. Know, being like, yeah. You know, it'd be cool. Just being leisurely. Like, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, so, well, it really is a paradox. It's so hard. Yeah. Sorry. It is. And the Middle Eastern people, they, it's built in. It's built into you, you're like, it's a real, I mean, unfortunately, Christians are persecuted in Egypt and most places in the Middle East, but like, God is still part of the culture. Mm-hmm. So like, you, there is a, an emphasis on leisure, precisely because God is part of the conversation, mm-hmm. you know, and, and that's what, what Peeper points out so well, that culture from the root word cult. So what you worship determines how you live. Mm-hmm. So if God is a value in, in the culture, then you're going to live according, at least closer to what he wants for your life. Um, and that, that's really hard for Americans. That's very hard for me. We're so self-determining and individualistic, um, yeah. you know economically driven that's very difficult but i worry about i mean my i worry about the church is it does the church look more american or does it look more christian right yeah well this is i think another place where where i'm always talking about the virtues because i i see them as this huge gaping hole in in our modern catechesis and precisely for this reason right here right we can talk about you know the, the faith and the content of the faith but if we don't actually have the virtue of being able to attend to God in prayer. I mean, you mentioned earlier, you can be out on a nature walk and not be at leisure, but you can go to prayer and not be at leisure. I think we do this all the time. We go to prayer and we're anxious and worried about many things. And we talk the whole time and we never actually let God be there and talk to us. I mean, preach brother. <laughs> preach. I mean, it's infuriating. I mean, the, the lack of virtue formation, like really understanding what it means, um, that's missing, uh, leisure, certainly in Catholic culture, I'm going to just be bold and say American Catholic culture it does not cultivate leisure, yeah. uh, doesn't cultivate interior life. Um, but we love lots of parish programs. We love to busy ourselves up with all sorts of distractions and they're good. They're good distractions, right? They're, they're Catholic gosh, but like, you know, I'll, I'll be what you just said. I, I just last week I was at adoration and having a nice conversation with God and somebody walks in and turns on Gregorian chant. Well, I love Gregorian chant. I wish it were more in, in, in masses, but there's silence at adoration and you, and that woman, whoever she is, God bless her, interrupted 
people's silence and conversation and hearing God's voice mm-hmm. because we have to have music on. Now it's good music, but still distracting from prayer. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I just recently, I had been going through my past births and trying to think of how I wanted to go into labor and delivery this next time. So this is going to be a home birth. My last one was a home birth, but the rest were in the hospital. And, oh, my pregnant brain is going to do this. It's going to make me lose my train of thought. Well, well, just realizing that, like, ah, uh, Probably totally you want to be present it. to it. So you've been thinking a lot about how yeah, it's going to be open. Yes, yes. Yeah. So I Rather really, than trying to distract yourself, you know. Yeah, like, I, I don't want to plan this time. Like, I've had five mm. babies. I know what can go wrong and what can't go wrong, you know. Um, yeah. And I just, I really just wanted to like not be watched, not be distracted, have it just be a normal day and just kind of, and I felt so at peace with that. It took me a long time to get there um, and a long time to work through all the plans I had for every birth and water birth and, you know, all this kind of stuff. And just to be like, if I really actually believe that my body is meant to do this and that it's going to have a baby, then I'm just going to let it have the baby and I'm not going to impose all this extra program because I know the science because I've read all the studies and, you know, like I'm really into birthing and birth science and like, (laughs) you know, um, it was just such an added burden and I haven't had this baby yet, so I don't know how it's going to turn out, but, um, it was, it, it, it like freed so much of this anxiety and pressure. Um, yeah, I'm. Amazing. Yeah. Amazing. You're, you're, you're just like your heart's crying out for just simplicity, the yeah. essential reality. And we do, yeah. we just love, love to burden ourselves with all sorts of unnecessary, programmatic, distracting mm-hmm. things in the name of feeling secure. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm, I'm like really moved by, by this little shift for you, Teresa. <laughs> I- I enjoy too. Enjoy. And if our, couch, yeah. if our couch will finally arrive on time, I will feel so much better about going into labor in my living room. So, yep. Yep. Yes. <laughs> Sorry. You're, You're really amazing. good at taking us off topic. Davison. Can you bring us well, topic either of you? <laughs> I mean, John Mark, I mean, I have some ideas about please things go. we could talk about, please, but please. please. Go, go no, I, 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 ju- I, I just don't want anybody listening to get discouraged because it is, it is so hard. And it, I think if you're listening and you're thinking, okay, I'm trying to understand what leisure is. So leisure is a a mental attitude, a spiritual attitude of openness to reality, of openness to God. How can I start to do that? Well, I would say the first thing is to just slow your life down, um, slow your life down, cut out what's not essential and then really do carve out time for prayer and also leisurely activities. And keep in mind that the measure, the measure is like the, 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 the level of preoccupation and distraction in activities. Um, are, do you, and I think, I think we all know when we're not enjoying life because we are so preoccupied, distracted, busy, we're not experiencing the beauty of God every day. And, and we really want to, but Again, don't get discouraged. Virtue takes work and it takes a long time because it's a habit to start to make those choices. I mean, a, a dear close friend of mine finally came to the point uh, of like, I, I do need to take this seriously. I'm, I'm wasting my life being busy for a job. And, um, and she's like, I'm giving myself one year to understand 
what is the new normal with how to live? And it's very, like you were saying, Teresa, it's very, it can be really uncomfortable at first, like making the decision to throw out the books and throw out the programs and throw out the plans and just say, I'm going to get back to basics here. But there is a lot of, there is a lot of resurrection, trust, joy moments in, in just surrendering and trusting God in that. And I think keeping in mind also the contrary, the contrary uh, vice to leisure, which people describes as, as acedia or sloth, mm-hmm. which is, the definition of our culture. I mean, do you guys, I mean, do, would you agree about that? Totally. Uh, I mean, we, we've talked about actually that point we've talked a little bit about before here about the sloth, right? Sometimes people hear sloth or acedia and they're just thinking laziness, right? They're just thinking right. non-work, you know, but it's, it's much more nuanced than that. It, it, it yeah. is the opposite of leisure. If leisure is attending to reality and, and not just doing it once, but having the habit of being open, attending to reality, well, acedia is the all the many manifestations of the ways that we try to constantly keep reality at bay. And yes. it makes us anxious. It makes us feel horrible. It doesn't actually, you know, uh, contribute anything to our life. But yet we, we constantly try to hide from reality. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. And, and, and it, I mean, to me, this culture is acedia screaming. Yeah. I mean, the word means lack of care. Acedia yeah. mm-hmm. or sloth means lack of care. How many self care books and I have one. I just bought one. I got sucked in, right? How many? I spent $40 on a stupid self-care journal, which I secretly love, but still, I mean, every time I see like self-care stuff, I'm like, ah, that's because the self-hatred is so high. (laughs) This lack of care, even the, even the secular culture knows, it knows something's wrong and it's, and it's trying to, and it's creating more economic products to sell to us to fix it. But when the, and the point is exactly the opposite, but you know, yeah. Well, you made me think to again, speaking to the person who's maybe saying, well, this sounds great, but like, okay, but even slowing my life down and trying to practice this more, but my life's too busy and these bad things are happening and I got a lot of, a lot of stuff. So how can I reasonably practice this? Well, I have an answer for you. Talk about that first. What would you say to that person? Like, well, I can't slow my life down. I can't like all these things keep happening to me. How can I be leisure? How can I have leisure? Yeah. I mean, I, I think one way to approach it with this person is, um, well, if they're a Christian and they believe in God, <laughs> then, okay, like God wants you to enjoy your life. Like, I don't know if you guys listen to Joyce Meyer, that, you know, Bible preacher, Protestant woman, Bible no. preacher. I just love her. I just, I love her so much. She's yeah. a hoot. Right and she's, you know, and she says, you know, you owe it to God to enjoy your life. You know, you owe it. And she doesn't mean yeah. it in a superficial prosperity right. gospel right. way. You owe it to God to enjoy your life. And say, okay, you want somebody fancier? St. Irenaeus, doc, newest doctor of the church, right? And he gets misquoted a lot. The glory of God is man fully alive. But the actual quotation is, um, the glory of God is a living man, and the life of man consists in beholding God. So if, if the, my life, my joy is contingent on beholding God's face, which is another way of saying that I'm open to reality. Mm-hmm. And God's glory is contingent on me becoming alive, living the abundant life that he created me for, then I might want to start to put away the excuses of like, well, it's just all so busy because God created you and he owns all your time. Yeah. So. Well, yeah. and, and leisure is, <laughs> yeah. and again, this is, this is the, the crucial thing here is that like that Sabbath time, that leisure, that's the crux. If you yeah. don't do that, then yes, your life is going to be increasing work and anxiety and disintegration and feeling fragmented and like Bilbo feeling like your butter spread over too much bread that's going to get worse and worse. And it's not because yeah. you have too much. Actually, it's so funny. Whenever Teresa comes to me and says, we have too much on the calendar, I always 
remind her that, hey, we've been here many times before with more things on the calendar. It's not that we have too much going on. It's that we're not connected. We're, we've lost leisure. We've lost right. leisure with each other, with God. And then suddenly right. now life feels overwhelming. That's what's at right. stake here, that if we don't have the habit of leisure, then suddenly everything is overwhelming. But once you yes, have that's it, a perfect. perfect. Yeah. Sorry to interrupt you. No, that's, perfect. that's perfect. It's not about not having a busy life. Right. It's about how you show up to the busy stuff. Yeah. So that's sorry to interrupt you. No. You should go on. That was perfect. Though. Well, and you can I love in, it. Even the difficult, you can, you can begin to encounter differently, right? Even the difficult things that God, that, that God allows to happen to you, you, you know, those yeah. you, if you have leisure, you receive those differently, right? Yep. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, your life will be full. The saints' lives were full. Mother Teresa was pretty busy, but she also prayed and she was attentive like nobody other. She was like no one else we know in the last millennium, maybe attentive to the, to the other person. She had a busy schedule, you know, but she showed up completely attentive to reality and to the other person. She also prayed extra on busy days. So, you know, yeah, that's helpful. Because of her leisure, (laughs) You know, she was able to all see God in everything and everyone. I mean, the people coming to her who yeah. were who were hurt, who were often ugly or stinky right. or just like all the stuff. Well, she she was could perfectly see their dignity and their love, and it's only because of what she found first in leisure. And that's what we what we lack. And so everything, yeah. even the things that should be a joy to us, like our children, sometimes are just like ah, oh, it's it's overwhelming. Well, it's because we've lost the ability to see them for who they really are. I'm at the end of pregnancy, so yeah, yeah. I'm like I'm like. <laughs> Everyone You're like, away. oh no, <laughs> get away. We're done. Yes, I'm checking out. Exactly. Got senior, well, I, I, I think I, I think that, that that point is so important because someone listening to what I just said could have been like, oh, well, so you just want me to like delete things. So I can't do that. But no, it's how you show up. But then also I think what happens, mm-hmm. what happens when you c- cultivate that leisurely habit is then your schedule actually gets filled up with the right things. Yeah. Yeah. And I, I know so many people who are tormented by like, am I doing what God wants? Am I doing, because they haven't really been able to hear what he says about their schedule. Right. Mm-hmm. So it's not that he doesn't want you to be active and fruitful, mm-hmm. but with his projects, not with, not necessarily with yours and maybe some overlap. I don't know, but that's another problem with the vice of acedia, the contrary, the contrary vice to leisure is that it, you know, the heart of acedia uh, according to Vagrius, that fourth century, late fourth century Egyptian monk, is autonomy. Mm. It's it's mm. it's it's autonomy. Wow. Which is mm. a preference of self. Yeah. So the leisurely mm. person's like, okay, here's my here's my desire, here's my preference, but I'm open to what you have to say about it. And then that becomes a prayer and a, a dialogue so that you feel satisfied with what you're spending your time doing because it's born out of a communication that you had with God about your life. Yeah. Wow. I love that connection. Yeah. The autonomy or pride, I think would be another way to say that, right? Pride yeah. and slow yeah. are kind of like two sides of the same weird coin here. Huh? Yeah. One, it, it is. one it, looks it, down it, at reality and yeah. says, I'm bigger than that. And the other one looks up at the reality and is like, ugh. Uh. Yeah, because Western theology will talk about like like pride and vainglory. You know, right. Thomas will talk about those, but but a vagaris is a cedia is 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 the deadliest of the vices. And you're like, wait a minute, I thought it was pride. What does that mean? But 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 it but you're right. You because can't get out of it. it. Yeah, it's it's this battle. It's really rational. Your- it's like uh, Chesterton's the maniac chapter, yeah. right? Where you're like ultra rational about why you can't do all these things. You know. Mm-hmm. 
Um, a book that we often mention to couples um, and on this show is that um, the three, oh, we always get it wrong. Three questions three for frantic families. Big questions for frantic families by Pat Lencioni. Oh, nice. It's a quick read. It like it took him two hours. It took me two days. So it's different reading wow. levels. But um, it kind of walks you through making these kinds of cutting out decisions as to what your mission as and he this is for couples, like it's a couple book, families book, as to what your mission is as a family, like how you stand shoulder to shoulder with your spouse and um, it's it's an excellent book. Um, I love it. But as you guys are talking, I'm thinking about all these conversations that I have about people who want to start homeschooling. Um, mm-hmm. Because usually how it goes is like, we want to start homeschooling. What's the best curriculum? And people come to me and they say that. They're like, what curriculum do you use? And I mean, I'm happy to share our favorites, you know, that we've come across. But usually what I tell them is like, look, I really think you need to de-school. Before Uh you start homeschooling, you need to take time with this child that you're pulling out or the children that you're pulling out and do like just nothing like go to museums and go to parks Uh and read, you know, find what they find in the library and read it with them, you know, read books out loud. Because in that time of not having anything on the schedule, and this is hard to convince people People don't mm-hmm. want to do this. They want to jump into homeschooling because it's so exciting. Yeah. But it's like you have to know your kid. You have to know how the dynamics of your family work. And you have to know what it's like to not be a, what is it called? The pickup line person, you know, or all like dumping out, you know, all the things the kid has to do for the next day and making sure that, you know, you have all the lunches packed and you have whatever theme day it is. Like you need to not be that person and not be that family and figure out what your family is for like two months. And if, if that extends into like three, four, five, six, seven months, let it extend into that time. You know, that time is invaluable. We have a friend who Um, is head of a high school and he was like I want to do classical education but how do you get like inner city kids to care about classical education and I was like and he must have thought I was just like out of like crazy I was like you need to get them outside of the classroom walls and they need to start a garden and then he was like okay (laughs) and I'm like no seriously they need to understand reality where they are right now is not reality They need to come into reality and learn what reality has to teach them. And I can't think of a better way than like a garden of how watching something grow, you know, that's what, that's what Peeper talks about. He talks about the the rose. I'm a genius. You're you're a genius. No, I want to say first, you're a genius. I'm just listening to you going, she's so smart. I hope these people are listening to her. I mean, this Sorry. is where the love of the mutual admiration society gets enkindled. No, I mean, I do they listen? Well, first, before we go to people, do they listen? Do they listen? They need to listen Who? because what you're so important. They don't listen. They're like, no, I want my curriculum. I know. Um, and then they'll burn and then they'll be like, oh, this is yeah. what I need to do. Because <laughs> I was that person. There, Jusani, Father Giussani, I don't know mm, if you've all read yeah. any Luigi Giussani in the religious sense. He's paraphrasing Aristotle, that the object determines the method. That's what you just said. You have to know your children and know your family to determine the, the, the best method. 
you begin with the human person. This is another way to say it. The personalistic norm that John mm-hmm. Paul II talks about, right? Like the, it's the beginning, the, per, the person determines the method, not the other way around. Mm-hmm. And so much of the way that we operate, schools included, which is why kids hate school, is that the determining factor is efficiency and economics and criteria and standardized testing, not the human person. I remember my, my I used to teach high school and these student, seniors would come into class and they just get so frustrated, the SATs and all this stuff. You know, I just look at them and go, I know that you're frustrated and stressed and pressured, but for me, this makes me very happy because your very being is rebelling against these reductionistic <laughs> forms that are being imposed on you. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> so, you know, and if they leave my classroom having a sense of wonder, all I can yeah. say that I've accomplished is that I haven't destroyed the sense of yes. wonder that God gave them in the first place. Yes. But that's what school does. So starting a garden. So sorry, back to Peeper. You know, he'll say that, the, that there's two conceptions of work. Yeah. Right. And we're so used to the discursive work. Right. And that I was all wrapped up into what you were talking about with rationalism and Kantian rationalism and all this kind of stuff. OK, what we can tear apart, pick apart, analyze, judge. And then there's the contemplative work, mm-hmm. the philosophical act. And that's, and he'll talk about the example of a rose, right? So a scientist, a natural scientist can take a rose and nitpick it and pull it apart and analyze it. What's the color and what's the texture? And But, but the philosopher, the human being can know a rose in a different way, mm-hmm. not, in a, not in a scientific way, but can know a, know a rose in a contemplative way, yeah. gazing at its beauty, smelling its fragrance, enjoying, uh, just enjoying it. And again, it's not something that can be explained in words necessarily, but there's, there is an education and a knowing that happens through the contemplation of the beauty of the rose. And that's, that's what leisure is. It's a different, it's a, it's a knowing, it's a higher way of knowing actually. And, And that way of knowing can lead back to a more, um, a more fruitful scientific knowing, but he can't go Absolutely. the other direction, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that, I mean, when you look at, I mean, I, you know, I, you know, Steve Jobs and the iPhone. I mean, I think the idea came to him on a walk, mm-hmm. you know, like, and again, I don't want to like glorify the iPhone or all the technology, but, but the idea that we get these inspirations for creativity in prayer, in, le- in leisure, yeah. in wonder, that's a different kind of knowing. That's a different attentiveness mm-hmm. to reality mm-hmm. than what we're tra- what we're trained for. Wow! And then uh, I'm thinking. So I'm thinking of the iPhone. And I was just talking with somebody with this the other day um, about like the new Time magazine article of like, do women ever have to give birth again? And they've found a way to gestate a baby outside of the mother's womb. And they focus I, on the goods. Okay, they focus on a child who can't continue growing in the womb and you would have to have an abortion or, you know, the baby would die, something like that. Um, Like they, they focus on the goods, but they don't play out all the way in which people and systems and, you know, like capitalistic greed and socialistic hygiene punishment, (laughs) you know, like whatever, whatever, you know, is on the other side um, will take advantage of that. And as I'm sitting here thinking, hearing you guys talk about the rose, I'm thinking like you have someone at leisure and then their creativity is then usurped by people and systems devoid of leisure. 
who if they had leisure, they would think, oh, well, what if this was used for this horrific means? (laughs) And But exactly, because devoid of leisure means devoid of prayer and devoid of humanity, which is why people wrote this book in the first place coming out of World War II. I mean, he had experienced firsthand this horrifying use of technology uh, to, you know, for mass genocide, (laughs) you know, so leisure isn't flaky. Yeah. You know, it, it can, not only can it save you from using technology for inhuman ways, because you, they, these, these people who are inventing this are completely missing out the human person, um, you know, in their, in their, de, you know, yeah. deviations. But, but that's like the least common denominator. Yeah. Like you're not going to do damage on the higher end leisure, which leads to prayer and worship, leads to creation of culture and creation of civilization, which is how we got Western and European civilization in the first place. It was monks who took leisure and prayer seriously. Mm -hmm. And that birthed all sorts of practical, uh, creative things, clocks, aviation, champagne, you know, all the good things in life that we take for granted from a monk, right? Yeah. Have you... um... What's that episode of Good Money that's the virtue that's for rich people only? Magnificence. Magnificence. I always get it confused with magnanimity. Which is um, magnificent. Yeah. Um, but yeah, as, as you guys have been talking, I've been thinking a lot about the, the responsibility that wealthy people in the Middle Ages, scholastic era, whatever that is, um, mm-hmm. up until whenever they didn't. Again, just Teresa, <laughs> stop. Um, but that they're, they're one of the, the, the things that the church tells them they have to do and that is fulfilled in this virtue is doing big things for the community, particularly leisurely things like festivals mm-hmm. and fireworks. And, you know, like they would throw the parties for the peasant people. <laughs> You know, yeah. it's not that peasant people didn't have parties, but they would do the magnificent things that we think of today as culture. You know, we think of as like, well, this, mm-hmm. this town is a great farmer's market or they do a great parade or whatever. But like that was the job of people who had the means was to contribute to the leisure time of everyone. Right. You know what I mean? And, we, yeah. and by, by, by contrast, we often focus on when we're thinking about helping the needy in the world. Well, certainly we need to help them with the material needs if that's if that's what the, where the need is. But we tend to look at the whole world only in terms of the material needs. And without mm-hmm. without creating space for leisure, we end up with a whole culture of people who have the material needs but are miserable, right? <laughs> exactly. I mean, it, exactly. That's exactly right. But what what are the first things that go? Mm-hmm. Um, it's it is all. I mean, because of COVID. I mean, two wholesome hundred year old family run theaters in Los Angeles mm-hmm. have now closed and we are heartbroken yeah. because sure it's, uh, you know, what's going to go first, the arts and, and culture and leisurely things. But unfortunately those are the things that sustain the soul of a nation. Yeah. Right. And, and so they're so important, just as important as, you know, I don't want to say just as important as food because you need food to live, but I mean, it should be taken very seriously when that happens. Yeah, I mean, look at John Paul II. You know, yes, he could have yep. gotten killed by doing these Polish plays during yeah. the wartime, but they were they were that important to the continuation of Polish culture, which is like one of the strongest cultures, Catholic cultures in the world. You know, yep, 
but yeah. their because they knew their dignity their dignity lies in their capacity to co-create with God artistically and theatrically. And if you take that away, if you take out the reminders of that, then you really can start to lose your sense of self, your dignity, and you you make yourself very much a vulnerable um, subject of the tool yeah. of the state. So yeah. these, you know, it's, it's sometimes it's hard to make that intellectual gap of like, what does theater have to do with fighting Nazis? But actually it does. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. There has to be. Yeah. My, one of my favorite uh, memes on the internet is is the one where um, it, it's it's pitting philosophy and science. It's talking about that dynamic, and the person says, "Well, what's what's the good of philo- or what, what good is philosophy?" And the, and the philosopher says, well, "I don't know. What's the good of mathematics?" And the mathematician begins to respond, and the philosopher interrupts him and says, "Oh, you're doing philosophy." Yeah, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. I, I'm bothered. I'm bothered, as I'm sure you are, that in modern days philosophy has been reduced to just kind of like this dusty wing of the academic department. History of philosophy, essentially. It's, yeah, you, it when you learn philosophy, kind of history it's like philosophy. history. Rather yeah. than really philosophy in its, its original, more general, more practical, more full and fruitful sense is closer to what we're talking about with leisure in the sense of you take that time to get in touch with reality. Absolutely. Absolutely. Every, every, every human being has a destiny to be a philosopher, right. uh, you know, not, not a professional philosopher, but like to be humanist is to, is to engage in philosophical thinking. Every, everybody's born saying, why mommy? Why? I mean, you're going to have a baby and you're it's a little philosopher baby, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> be like, what, you know, at some point. So I, I totally agree with that. I think it's so important. I think once, once that's, I mean, once that is understood by someone, that there's nothing more practical than good philosophy because it determines everything, every decision that you make. Um, then I think it's there, there's a real freedom in knowing who you are as a human being. That you ha- you have this capacity to to criticize, to judge, to know things, and that you really do want to know what's real. Yeah. And yeah. So yeah, my my kids are going through a robots book right now, um, and they're like getting excited about building robots, and my. My daughter was like, they, you can make, I want to make a robot kitten that can go visit people in hospitals. Cause it says that here, like people can't have real animals in hospitals and that this kitten like responds to touch and responds and will act like a real kitten. And I'm, and I'm, I'm not squashing her. I'm like, keep reading the book, honey. And, but I'm thinking to myself, classical yeah, but I'm like thinking to myself, that would cause the person, unless you, they have like dementia or Alzheimer's, which you can bring in like baby dolls and, you know, it, it awakens something that was there, you know, that wasn't accessed mm-hmm. or whatever. But if it was like a normal, rational functioning person, I feel like they would die on the inside. You know, yeah. like having this, like, this is what my life means. <laughs> like, I'm pretending this, this fake cat. And I it's, know. Resp- you know, like, I, I think my I life know. is over. Like, it would put you in such despair. I know, but because you have to lie. Yes. Have we kind of done that? We've done that. Yeah. You know, now I'm going to have that that image every time I think about how we've exchanged the good life for a virtual. Like, I'm good. You know what I'm doing right now? Next time you're scrolling, just think of petting a virtual cat. (laughs) No, it's true. This is like the perfect image to get me to stop scrolling. I'm going to be like, Teresa would be like, put the cat down. It's not even a cat. Amazing. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. Love it. Oh, it's so true. Oh my gosh. So, so true. Right. Poor God's looking down at me like, guys, really? <laughs> <laughs> I made what real ones. Mommy won't let me have a real one. 
So oh, I know. Well, I love that about, Mon- about Montessori. I took a, I audited a, a Montessori catechesis, the Good Shepherd class in graduate school. And it was just so fascinating to me. You know, kids like little kids in particular, like they want to see real ducks. They don't want to see Donald Duck. Donald Duck's not a thing for them. They want to like look at a real duck. And I remember sharing this with my mom, uh, you know, 10 years ago and I was learning it and she's like, yeah, you know, we, we took you to all the, the Disneyland and all that, but you just wanted to look at the lake, you know, <laughs> at, at Disneyland. And it's like, okay, but like, we didn't have to pay that much money for you to be, yeah. go to a real lake. Yeah. So we want reality. Yeah. Children want reality. We want reality. Um, we're made to be lovers of reality. Yeah. yeah. And that's what leisure, that's what leisure does. Well, we're going to so have a mug yeah. that you can purchase through Awaken Catholic that says, I love reality. That's amazing. I will buy it. It was it was it was it was Jusani that that taught me that. He said we need to be lovers of reality. You know, so it's beautiful. Well, I think we should land here. Although I'd like to talk talk for another couple more hours. (laughs) I know, right? Another stuff. Perhaps we'll do this again sometime soon. Yeah. Well, I would love to share before we say goodbye. Just I I wrote I wrote um, for other people out there, not for me at all. Um, a litany of leisure and um, a biblical examination on leisure. So if anybody well, can wants you give us your, yeah, your blog. Yeah. So, um, well, okay. So my blog is culturalgypsy.com, but um, I, you could, so you can find it on there or you can just Google my name and the cat it's printed published in the catechetical review on an article I wrote on leisure. Um, it's, you have to scroll all the way to the bottom, but there's both a litany and a biblical examine on leisure. If anybody just kind of wants a little helpful jump start, um, just want to throw that out there. That's excellent. Oh, thank you so much for being with us. And again, um, you're, I wrote it down cause I am so bad at this. You're the director of program growth at Endow. Yes. <laughs> yes I got um, Endow too, please. Yes. Uh, I'm, I'm so excited uh, to get going with some Endow groups here in the future. You've really spurred me on. I want to be educated like you guys. I come up you with these examples and you guys are like, it's like Kant and it's like this. Like, I'd love to know that too. Oh my gosh. You, you know more than you realize. You do. Well, thank so. you so much, Simone. Thank you. My pleasure. Well, and thank you uh, for listening or watching. Uh, audience member out there hopefully this has been has, has been a, a leisurely listen to you hopefully it's been encouraging and inspiring to make sure that you're creating those spaces in your life i mean we, we are commanded by our lord to uh have that sabbath time in our week but we need to make make sure that it's going beyond that that we're learning we're encountering god uh, on the sabbath day we're practicing the virtue of leisure we're also doing other times too i mean uh i think elsewhere maybe another show here I think it was on the men's show. We talked about how there needs to be a Sabbath hour in the day. You know, that's a daily prayer. We need to have those moments in the day when we we reconnect and go back out into our work with a greater sense of presence. In our year, there should be a a Sabbath time in the year, uh, you know, a retreat. You know, the time when we step away and really make sure that we are making uh, leisure uh, the basis of our life. You know, that's the, the tagline of his book, Leisure, the Basis of Culture. Well, it's the basis of so much uh, it's the basis of everything that is good and, and true and beautiful in our lives. And so we need to we need to make sure that we're putting it there. It, it's, it is so crucial. So anyway, thank you again for joining us for this episode. Again, check out elevateordinary.com for information about the show and ways that you can support it. Also download the Awaken app at theawakenapp.io to follow this and other shows. 
And once again, this has been Elevate Ordinary. Thanks again for joining us for this episode. God bless you. Talk to you again next time.